takes a strong leader to build an army of faithful followers. But what makes a leader exceptionally great is his ability to follow. Steve Kinsley, a family man and community leader, found himself in countless situations where he has had to make the decision to give up control and follow. Today, you'll hear his story and realize how your life can become exactly what you hope it to be, but only if you can learn to give up control and follow. You'll also learn how every place you go, every person you meet, every high that you have, every low that you have, all the joy you experience, all the pain that you experience has a purpose. And that purpose could be leading you to your greatest destiny. My conversation with Steve Kinsey starts right now. You are listening to the Dads Making a Difference podcast, the number one podcast for men driven to live a life of significance. Men who want to make a difference in the lives of their families, in their business, and in the world around them. My name is Cam Hall, founder of Fight the Dabot and leader of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Now, let's dive in. Hello, my friend. Welcome to this episode of the Dads Making a Difference podcast. My name is Cam Hall. I'm your host and founder of the Dads Making a Difference Mastermind Group. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Steve Kinsley. Steve is an amazing man. I've heard Steve's story before, and every time I hear it, it hits me. It hits me uh, emotionally because there are times in Steve's story that I can't believe he pushed through. And then there hits me... um, and inspires me because I know that no matter where we go in our lives, we can overcome. And all we have to do is follow. Sometimes we feel like we just need to lead, lead, lead all the time. But Steve is going to share today in his story, how following a calling can fulfill your life in ways that you have never thought possible. Callings that will take you from Uh, United States to South Africa will end up adding members to your family, but also end up losing members of your family. And Steve shares his story today in a way that I hope you appreciate. You're not going to hear much from me. We're going to change it up a little bit today because I asked Steve to just come on and share his story. So um, I hope you enjoy this. I know it's powerful. Steve is going to share with you exactly how he went through these period of transitions. You know, I just, I'm 42 years old and Steve is my senior by 25-ish years, but Steve recounts a story in a way that shows how sacrifice and countless transition can build to something amazing and how he managed to get his family on board with some major decisions and how his family managed to get him on board with some major decisions. But through it all, Steve is going to teach you how you can show your kids the true meaning of faith and obedience, and how you can make decisions for yourself and your family in a way that you know is going to fulfill your calling versus making decisions based on what other people are just telling you to do. And Steve wants to reassure us that we can start over at any age. It's never too late to live the life you were meant to live. So here we go. My conversation with Steve Kinsley. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the Dads Making a Difference podcast. Glad to have you on, brother. Yeah, I'm glad to be here as well. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, of course. You know, when I talk uh, to men in the group that we're both a part of, ISI, and many of those guys have been guests on this podcast, and I say, okay, who should I be talking to? Who should the guys 
and who listen to this podcast hear from, Steve Kinsley always comes up. And so I appreciate you taking the time today. We're, we're connecting today. It's on a Friday. It's a Friday afternoon and you, you've made time in your week and I appreciate that. So yeah, thanks for being here. And uh, I look forward, forward to spending some time with you. Oh, thanks, Steve. Steve, why don't you share with, you know, the guys who are listening, you know, a little bit about your story, who you are, what you've experienced, because in the little time that we've been able to speak, uh, whether it was on our, the call previous to this that we did, just your experiences in your life and where you're at in your life right now and the things that you've gone through, the transitions and the events in your life. Sure. And there's so much to learn from. So why don't you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. Glad to. Well, um, I'm, I'm currently residing in Mississippi where I moved uh, moved to Mississippi when I was like three years old. Uh, my parents are from central Missouri, a very rural area. My dad was in the oil business and moved us to Mississippi. We didn't think we'd be here long, but it's become it's become home, uh, a lifelong place to live. So I, I married my high school sweetheart here. Uh, we married while we were finishing up college and began to raise a family here in Mississippi. I, I majored in computer science. We've been in, IT, in the IT world back when computers used to fill rooms instead of being in your back pocket. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, the form factors of computers is to uh, continue to amaze me. Uh, but I, I lived in that world uh, working in, in the, in the uh, commercial side of things. I worked in hospitals. I especially focused on telecommunications and, and, uh, and software development in those days. Raised my family in, in Mississippi. I have uh, three grown children uh, who have given me five grandchildren now. Uh, Amazing. One of them is in Alabama. The other two are, are local to me. Uh, and uh, so we're, we're very close, close-knit family. Um, as as the, uh, my, my um, last son and, and daughter are twins, okay. uh, we had an exciting uh, time of raising twins and, a, and an older child. As, as the twins were graduating from high school, we had an empty nest. Uh, my wife began doing short-term mission trips okay. and, uh, uh, because she was a school teacher. And so she had her summers off. The kids weren't at home. So she started doing international uh, summer mission trips. She went to Hong Kong one year. And the next year, she went to uh, Ukraine, uh, amazingly enough, and uh, worked in a former communist indoctrination camp that had become a Christian camp. Uh, for kids, for teenagers. And she went over and taught English for the summer. And uh, we had a little bit of a family crisis during that time uh, with one of our children. And uh, while she was there, uh, the Lord did some amazing work in his life and also began to speak to my wife about uh, our future together. And uh, on the way back, uh, she felt a strong sense the Lord was leading us to go overseas one day. Uh, but he specifically told her, don't tell your husband he's not ready yet. <laughs> Were you so ready? Was, oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I was happy to write checks and let her go do her thing. Yeah. And um, uh, it wasn't that I didn't have a great relationship with the Lord because I did, but I was very focused on building uh, our computer consulting business. I'd moved, uh, had transitioned from that into a, a tel telecommunications business. Uh, we had raised a significant amount of money. We were rolling up companies all over the U.S. And then the dot-com bust happened. And we were caught uh, with uh, holding a tremendous amount of debt we couldn't service at that point. We had planned to go public with the company, wipe the debt out, and all be wealthy and, and move on with life. 
and uh, the dot-com bust of the 2000-2001 timeframe hit and caused us to change our plans. Um, I stayed with that company for a couple of years to help them transition, uh, but began to look around for what was next. One of the uh, men I had worked for uh, had started a telecom company in, in Mississippi, and uh, he had become ambassador to Portugal. Uh, they, he was trying to encourage people to partner with technology companies in Portugal and, and establish, uh, establish a presence there. I thought that might be exciting. So I came home all spiritual one day and just told my wife that uh, I think the Lord may want us to explore living overseas. And she said, well, let me tell you what the Lord told me two years ago. <laughs> again, laying out this idea for ministry where I was looking at business. Yeah. And it, take, it took me aback for a while. And I, I really began to think about it. She's She was very patient during that whole process. And I began to pray about it. And in about six months, I said, well, I think we are supposed to go overseas and began looking at a process to how we could become missionaries okay. and um, um, had no clue about where to go or how to do it. And so we were attending a Baptist church at the time. And, and there was a program through the Baptists that allowed people in their midlife, uh, not didn't have to have a seminary education, but could use life experiences and life skills to serve overseas, and we started a process uh, to begin to look at doing that. During that time, um, we we uh, resigned from our job. She had been a kindergarten teacher. I had uh, re finally resigned from the company that, uh, knowing it wasn't going anywhere for us financially, I resigned from there, began just doing some consulting to make ends meet while we explored uh, moving overseas. And uh, we, had, we had done this application process. I went with one of my children on a mission trip to Rome, Italy. And uh, uh, during that time, I, I made a phone call back to my wife. And she said, well, we heard from the Southern Baptists uh, about our mission application. I said, great. When are we going? And she said, as soon as you lose 50 pounds, you're too fat to be a missionary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, With and I said, well, what does that mean? She said, well, you failed some BMI index test and, yeah. and you've got to lose 50 pounds to get within range so we can go. And I said, well, if that's what we got to do, that's what we have to do. Uh, but the Lord used that time of transition, um, introduced us to uh, a man and his, his son who were working in South Africa with uh, uh, trying to uh, eliminate the orphan crisis that was there. Uh, South Africa at the time had a population of about 27 million, and there were 5 million orphans in the country. So a full 25% wow. of the population were orphans. It was in the height of the uh, HIV-AIDS crisis. Um, retro, antiretroviral drugs were just being introduced. Um, President Bush had started the PEPFAR fund to help fund that. And all that time, uh, we, we were meeting with this group about looking to join them in South Africa. So we, we flew down to South Africa in, in the summer of 2003 and uh, planned a two-week trip there to scope things out, to make plans to move. And it was during that time, uh, it was really evident early on that the Lord's putting a brakes to, to us joining that group. Mm. And uh, we actually contemplated just turning around and flying home. Uh, and we said, no, we're in Africa. Let's experience, let's experience Africa. And what happened over those next 10 days was the Lord planted our hearts uh, in the dirt of South Africa. And yet we had to pick up and come home. 
And my wife was devastated by that. She literally was an 18 hour flight back to Washington, D.C., and another, you know, another four hours uh, to fly home. And she cried the entire time. Just uh, she said, I, my heart's there. I'm having to come back here. I don't see any way that this this is going to be fulfilled. Uh, we've been back at we've been back in the States about uh, about 30 days. Okay. And I went through a drive through coffee kiosk. A friend of mine owned, picked up my morning coffee on the way to a consulting gig. And she said to me, have you met my friend, Brenda, who was serving me coffee? She said she and her husband just returned from South Africa. She <laughs> said, I think you guys need to talk. And uh, I said, great. She said, well, she said, my husband's in Texas for a couple of weeks. I'll, uh, uh, when he gets back, we'll arrange to get together and change, ex exchange stories. Um, I drove off with my coffee. My phone rang. And it was a, a, a man who said, hi, my name is Sean. My wife says we need to talk. And uh, he said, I'll be back from Texas in a couple of weeks. Let's talk then. I said, great. And 10 minutes later, my phone rang again. And it was Sean. He said, Steve, this is Sean. Uh, my wife says I'm coming home this weekend. <laughs> we'll meet this weekend. <laughs> okay. And, and we did. And and uh, a 30-minute 30 30 appointment turned into a a three-hour meeting, wow. which turned into a weekend prayer session with them. They, we discovered we were living five miles apart, and and they had started a ministry, and we're looking for somebody to go to South Africa to connect South African ministries with churches in America to to draw the resources of the West to the ministries in in Africa, and Amazing. and we committed at that point uh, to move to South Africa. Uh, we knew one family at that point in South Africa. And so we gathered our family together and told them that, uh, that we'd be moving by Christmas of 2003. Um, our children were extraordinarily supportive. Our parents were supportive, but very concerned about what we were going to do about retirement and health insurance and, okay. and all these things that the, the greatest generation of that, that worried about those things of security uh, would think about. Uh, but we committed to go, and uh, we had the most fun for those next few months. We had a moving to Africa sale at our house. We we put we gave away some furniture to newlyweds. We gave cars to our kids. Uh, you know, we were just getting ready to go, and this house we were living in would not sell. Oh. Would not sell. And uh, I got we got to April of the next year, and we still hadn't left. So we were still doing consulting and and things to make ends meet and uh i went to went to sleep one night and i sleep like I, I, if a tornado came through i probably wouldn't wake up but the lord woke me up and uh began took me to a passage of scripture uh very familiar scripture to many people the story of abraham and isaac mm. and the, the interesting part of the story you know he took it he took one of his servants with him when they went up, he was going to plan to sacrifice his son. And he got to the base of the mountain where he was going to go up. And he told the servant, stay here. My son and I are going up. And when we come back, we'll, we'll, we'll go on back home. And he used that, that word, we. And I really contemplated on that. And what the Lord was saying is, even though he knew in his mind that he was going to sacrifice his son, didn't know how that was going to turn out. He expected it because of the promises of God. He expected his son to be resurrected, that wow. they would come back together and leave. And uh, 
through that passage, the Lord said, uh, what are you willing to give up to go to Africa? And I began to name everything that we had already given up. Yeah. I said, we're, we're leaving everything we know. We're leaving family. We've given up our jobs. We've given up relationships. We've given up our church. We've, um, you know, we've given up the identity that we had here in Mississippi. And, uh, and I, I was really kind of frustrated at that moment. I said, what else do you want? And uh, God said, I want Africa. He said, it would be okay if you never went. Mm. And I said, mm, no, <laughs> people already think we're crazy in what we're doing. What if we said we're not going now? Yeah. And, and, and he said, I want you to give me Africa. And, and we really, really wrestled that night with that decision to a point where uh, I said, okay, you can have it. And um, uh, I want you to know that within a week we had sold the house. So that that surrender, that ultimate surrender, that last thing, that last thing we were hanging on of now identifying as somebody who was crazy enough to go to Africa, Lord said, I want you to give that up too uh, so that I can do a work in you and I can resurrect the vision that you have to something that's better. And so in, uh, we were able to move in, um, in October of 2004 to South Africa. Uh, we went intending that to be our life, intending to never come back. And uh, I mean, we, we anticipated coming back to visit, but we really anticipated living and working in South Africa uh, for the rest of our days. We were in our late 40s. We said, why not? Let's spend the next 25 years doing this or whatever. And, and so that was what we anticipated doing. Um, and uh, we may want to stop there for questions. I've got lots to tell you about. Oh, wow. Our yeah. Time there. yeah. I just, you know, it's not often that I get to just sit and listen on here to someone's story. And then as the story, as you're sharing your story, I'm just like drawn in by how many decisions your family had to make you and your wife uh everyone who was impacted by it and then this this longing this drive to be somewhere and have an impact and make a difference in a place that you think the lord was calling you to go and this this podcast is called dad's making a difference and i just i imagine you like at that stage of life because i turned 42 in a couple of days and it was probably around that time that you were yeah, I was 40 i was 47 when we went so it's mid 40s and, and you're at a time in your life that people would say, society would say, these are the income generating times of your life. You need to focus on this. And here you're selling off things, giving things away to go serve overseas. Like I, my mind is blown right now, see, by what you went through. I did. My question is at any time in this process, at any time in that story, you know, from your professional career to the relationship you had with your wife and the, the talking back and forth, your experience in Africa that didn't go the way that perhaps, you know, humanly you expected it to and come back. Is there any time in there, did you ever like just stop and be like, what are we doing? Like, oh. what is the purpose here? Hey guys, I wanted to take a moment and talk about our community of DMD brothers in the DMD mastermind. We are men who help each other to stay focused and intentional in our pursuits of personal, professional, physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual growth. We are a community of men who bring courage, wisdom, and transparency to unfiltered conversations that challenge us to be more impactful men. To be, dad's making a difference. We do this through our online and in-person events 
where men come together to speak into each other's lives and then turn around and do the deep work to create change in their families, in their businesses, and in the community around them. If you are wondering if this community might be right for you, you can find more information on the DMD Mastermind, and you can also book a call directly with me at dmdmastermind.com. Now, let's get back to our show. Yeah, absolutely. Every time, I mean, every time there's a major decision and you, you take a step and it's just a single step because you, you really, I never, I certainly never had a clear understanding of what we would accomplish in Africa. I just Mm -hmm. know, knew that we're supposed to go. So it was a, and I'm not going to say it's blind faith because I have total faith in the goodness of God and his direction in our lives. Um, But certainly when you're making, when you make a decision, that's going to impact not just you, you know, those, those decisions are, are kind of easy. Yeah. If they're going to you, maybe you and your wife, but you're impacting your kids, your future grandkids, you're impacting your parents who may never see you again. Right. Uh, you're, you're impacting friendships, lifelong friendships that you're walking away from. And, and, and so it doesn't just impact you. There's a whole spider web, a, a network of relationships that get impacted. Um, certainly there were, there were positive things of the transition too. the fact that we would do what we were doing was a testimony to people about the goodness of God and the provision of God and just the idea of what it means to really follow. So all of that was, was really positive, but every time there was a major one and cause nothing ever goes exactly how you envision it. No, it doesn't. And so when the house didn't sell, certainly frustration set in. Uh, I could have been uh, still working for the same company and putting money away. And, and yet there was this drawn out period where I just had to, I had to take whatever came along uh, to you know, keep the lights on, keep food on the table, those kind of things. So there was always that time to say, what am I doing? And especially, I'll tell you this, when we got to Africa, so I told you we knew one, one family there yeah. and that family had said, come, we'll let you stay in our house. Uh, until you figure out where you're going to be and that kind of thing. So you don't have to rush to make those decisions. Just come and stay with us. Uh, We've got, they had two cars. They said, you can use my wife's car, use it to get around. And so the day before we took off for South Africa, we got an email from the family and said, hey, looking forward to you to come. But just so you know, we totaled my wife's car. And so we're we're, we're on one car, so we're just giving you a heads up. And so they still had to go to work. We knew yeah. that. And so when we got to Africa, we literally were stuck in their house for six weeks. Um, uh, frustration abounds. We, we made this trek all the way over there and we can't even get outside the walls. You know, it's just, we're stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that caused a, that caused a, some really, trying times in your mind and your faith, like that, that very question of what am I doing here? I got to a point one night where my wife and I would try to go in and just pray about next steps every night. And I walked in one night after being there about four weeks and I said, I'm done. If the Lord doesn't do something, uh, we're just going to pack it up and go back. We're out of here. Yeah. I'm out of here. And, and she didn't like that answer. This, 
my my wife was just so full of faith and so full of of belief of what we were doing, even though we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. But that the anticipation of what could happen. Um, and, and so she began to pray for me that night. And I had uh, an experience with the Lord at that night that just said, I, I'm, 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 uh, I'm setting you apart for this. And, and just really got up the next morning with a, with a renewed mind. Um, and, and, and a couple of weeks later, we, we had transportation. We were able to get out of the house. We were able to find our own place and, and start serving. And so we started just volunteering at at at, uh, at different ministries that we had. We had gotten a name and we made a contact. Yeah. And we would go and volunteer and understand, you know, we're white Americans. Uh, Americans' reputation in ministry in South Africa wasn't great at that time because we'd come in with the mentality that, we knew everything. Here's how we should do it. Here's how the West would do it. Why don't you do it this way? And, and we really intentionally just came in and served. We didn't ask how anything should work. We didn't offer any suggestions, just what can we do to help? And so we started working with one community project in particular, faith-based, but they had a TB clinic. They had a hospice. They had a children's shelter. Um, they uh, did skills development. Uh, they had a, a a church, and we began just volunteering daily there, and and, and uh, gradually built trust with the leadership, uh, and so we we started working there just daily, and uh, my wife was got. They also had a little school there, and it was interesting because the school was for kids who couldn't afford to go to public school. Okay, in public school you had to buy a uniform, you had to buy yeah. school supplies, you had to have food and. There are lots of kids that just didn't have the ability to even do that. And so these kids would come barefooted, uh, in rags. Um, uh, they would get a meal while they were there uh, when we had food to, to give them. And, and my wife began to work with, with these kids. She had been a school teacher. They had great teachers. And so she just started working with the, uh, the emotional side of those children. And, and, and a lot of them were in the children's shelter there. And they got word one day that um, uh, they thought that two of the kids who had just come in were being sexually abused back at home. Uh -huh. And so she went with a social worker to check on them. And sure enough, that stuff was going on. They were able to get those kids out and put them in our children's shelter. At the same time, uh, she had she met their neighbors. And neighbors, I use it loosely because those are 10 shacks um, that they're living in and they pop up and pop down. People come in, people go. Yeah. Uh, but there was a family living next door to where these children were. Uh, it was a, a man and his wife. They had four kids, and they had taken in the children of his deceased sister, so his his nieces and nephews. And uh, it was interesting because we found out there was a 13-year-old daughter, uh, a 9-year-old son, and a 20-month-old uh, little boy. And it turned out that the 13-year-old was his primary caregiver. Wow. Um, she was taking care of the, her two brothers, and and they weren't in school. So he managed to get them scholarships to go to the public school. And we got a scholarship for the little baby to go to a, to a preschool, uh, but he never went because they, they didn't have money to buy diapers. That was a requirement. So my wife would go back about once a week and take food to this family. She couldn't get this little boy out of her mind. And, and he would just be running around the little area, just kind of on his own till the sister got home from school. 
Wow. And, at uh, 20 months old. At 20 months old. And uh, on about the fourth week, she went back and just found this little guy face down in the dirt. Um, he's burning up with fever, uh, snot running out of his nose. And she she found the uncle, uh, she scooped him up, found the uncle in a little bar next to his house. And uh, being the good school teacher she was, she got written permission to take him into the project where we were working. Uh, and she brought him back. And we had a, we had medical services there. So there was a doctor on duty. And she, she examined him and said, he's got double pneumonia. Oh, wow. And uh, he had the distended belly. If you see like the Feed the Children commercials. Right. Uh, he they were he was starving, and uh, uh, the doctor told my wife. She said, "You know, I I think we can I think we can get the pneumonia under control and use these antibiotics, but would you take him home? Because if I send him back with the medicine, the family will probably sell the medicine to get money for food." Yeah. And um, uh, my wife just in an instant said yes to that, um, and so she called me up and said, "Hey, I'm I'm bringing your baby home." Uh, we had this running joke in our family because she said, I'm either, she had told me for the last few weeks, I'm either going to bring a baby home or get a dog. You know? <laughs> and so I said, well, let's get the dog. So we got a dog. Yeah. And then two weeks later, she brings this baby home. And uh, she says, it'll be with us for five days. You know, that that's the, med we got to get medicine in for five days and see yeah. if we can get this pneumonia under control. Uh, well, Cam, uh, That little boy is in my house today, 19 years later. Amazing. He's my son. So Al, that's how Alpy came to live with us. Um, he came for those five days, and uh, he, the Lord just saw fit for him to never leave. Now, we didn't have any legal rights to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would we would take, we every day we'd go back to the project and take him with us. And his uncle would come, and we thought that'd be the day he'd take him home. And every time he said, man, he's, he looks good. Thank you for taking care of him. And it was one less mouth to feed for them, man. Yeah. And he knew he was safe. Uh, he was, it was really uh, encouraging that he, he trusted us with, with his, with his nephew. And uh, we made sure that, that Alfie stayed in touch with his, his sister and brother. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he was with us. Um, he, he was with us uh, informally for two years. It's incredible. Uh, uh, during that time, a, a social worker came to the project uh, to work with the kids that were in the shelter we had there because those were kids that were just rescued. Uh, they were in bad situations. The project rescued them. We always informed social services when we brought a kid in. Uh, every time we took Alpi to the doctor or we took him out of town with us, we sent a form in to, we faxed a form into social services. And so they knew where he was. And uh, one day that social worker came after two years, we had not seen a social worker in two years, and came to help us get uh, uh, foster care rights for the kids in the shelter. So we'd have legal rights to take them to the doctor and things like that. And uh, we told her about our case. And so she took our case. And I said, I said well, you know, we at least can get some foster care rights to him. So uh, anyway, she called back after a uh, couple of weeks and said and talked to my wife and said don't you want to adopt this child so foster care is for uh is for kids who are going back he's not going back mm -hmm. she had investigated his situation said he's not going back and so what that did for us was uh, it was a miraculous thing we had we had visited some adoption agencies in south africa 
they said, you are the last people that the courts will put this child with. You're, you're American, yeah. you're older, you're white. Uh, you don't have a work visa for the country. I was on a volunteer's visa, yeah. religious volunteer's visa. Um, there's nothing in your portfolio, in your resume that says they'll give you this child. They wouldn't take our case. They wouldn't advocate for us, anything. And yet this social worker um, said, don't you want to adopt him? She said, okay, I'll, I'll take care of what I can take care of. She called me one day and said, can you come by the courthouse? We need a copy of your passport. And I went and took a copy of the passport. She said, okay, I'll be in touch. And uh, it was about it was about 30 days later, I got a text message that said, it's done. Come get your paperwork. Oh, wow. And so anybody who knows anything about adoption and especially international adoption, I never met a judge. I never hired a lawyer. I never paid a dime. It was just the Lord's hand that said, this is your son. Hmm. And uh, made a way for that to happen. So when I got the paperwork, I was able to to get him a U.S. passport. Well, not a U.S. passport. I got him a green card. Yeah. And we were able to uh, have legal rights to him. So he was adopted in South Africa in uh, 2007. He was he was two years old. So September the 27th, we celebrate Gotcha Day. Yeah, that's incredible. What an yeah. amazing story. Yeah. And, and so um, uh, we stayed in South Africa uh, for another, another 2007, another uh, three years. Um, at the, at the end of those three years, um, we've, uh, my, my daughter, my biological daughter, uh, called, called us and said, uh, Hey, uh, I'm really sick. I've got, I've got something going on with my lung. They want to remove part of my lung. She was a single mom. And, uh, we knew that the Lord was telling us to, to come back. So in 2009, uh, with Alfie's green card, we, we flew back. We flew back to the States. I went back and forth to South Africa for another year. We had, we had commitments that we wanted to meet and, and be good and close down things the proper way. Yeah. But after six years, there was transition again, and the Lord had called us back to the States. Um, and so in 2010, we came back, and I had to go to work again. So now I'm, I'm 53 years old, and I'm starting <laughs> over. Yeah. Um, 53, and how old is up at that time? Alfie, at, 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 he was six years old. Okay, 53, six-year-old six in the house, going back to work. Yeah, so I'm 53. I've got a six-year-old. I've got a, 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 a black child in Mississippi in a white family, which is unusual. Yeah. Uh, and uh, thank goodness my wife is a school teacher because she started homeschooling him at that point to get him acclimated. And... Uh, uh, but I found work back in the telecommunications world. Um, and, uh, and so we, we started back trying to reintegrate ourselves into Western life. It was tough at first. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we had severed all the relationships. So we were really, we're starting over from scratch. I mean, part of our adoption, we, we, we needed to readopt Alfie uh, in the United States so we could get a U.S. passport and a U.S. birth certificate. Hmm. Uh, and uh, we started working on all of that. Two years into that, uh, my wife got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. So oh, in wow. 2012, uh, she was diagnosed. And um, that, uh, it was stage four. Uh, pancreatic cancer usually is. It's kind of a silent cancer until they 
until they find it and it's usually too late. So, you know, the prognosis was, was months. Um, and, uh, and so we began that, that process of chemotherapy and treatment, uh, when Alfie was eight and, um, uh, she lived three years, uh, wow. again, to the graciousness and goodness of the Lord. Um, she fought it for three years and did extraordinarily well and impacted, again, impacted a bunch of people through her testimony in her life. Uh, but she, she went to be with the Lord in 2015. Um, Alfie was 11 at the time. And so now he's lost two moms mm -hmm. in, a, in a short period of life. Um, and uh, I began the life of a single dad in in wow. 2015 um yeah at age 58 58 and, uh, yeah so i've got grown kids now at that point i've got grown kids i've got five grandkids um and i have alfie at home yeah and he's in four he's uh, starting the fifth grade that year uh so we um uh, he and i lived us uh, lived about seven years as a single in, as, as the, in the bachelor pad Okay. <laughs> I learned to cook a lot better than I did than I started in 2015. So I didn't kill him with my food. And, and, uh, uh, you know, we, Alfie's, Alfie and I both, um, uh, had a lot of adjustment to do. I, I will say this again, God's providence, while people would think, oh man, 58 single dad. If I hadn't had that boy, I, when I had that boy at home, I had a reason to get up every day. Mm-hmm. Somebody, somebody really needed me at that point. And so I tell him all the time, he saved my life uh, because I, I, I did not have time to, to sink too far. Mm -hmm. I, I had responsibilities and wanted those responsibilities and, and actually savored those responsibilities to keep me moving. Um, and uh, it's been, a, it's been a wonderful ride. There's one more transition we can talk about too. Um, um, I got married in 2022. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So uh, shout out to online dating. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I want to come back to the mastermind here in a minute. But yeah. my guys in the mastermind uh, encouraged me to get on eHarmony. Okay. Uh, and you know how they are. It, you know how you guys are. If they ask you to do something, they're going to hold you accountable till you do it. It's true. And, uh, and so I went through that process and, uh, over a period of months, uh, met, uh, met Kate who lived in another state and we did a long distance relationship for, um, about almost a year and got married in March of last year. Okay, and, well. uh, and so we transitioned again into yeah. a family of three. Alfie's now a senior in high school and, and. I've just been amazed at how well the two of them, it's like, man, it is so good to my heart to see how they interact. He's been very receptive to her. Cause I, I told him during the process, man, if this is going to be something between me and you, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And I got his blessing to, to move forward with the relationship. And he wasn't, he wasn't kidding me about it. He was ready to, uh, and, uh, and so now Alfie's going to graduate from high school in May. And we'll have another transition. Another back. transition. Yes. Yeah. 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 An exciting time for you. And like I said, just hearing your story and your testimony. And I just think about, 
you know, the dads listening to this who go through different transitions. And I know, I understand there's guys who are listening to this who aren't Christian guys. And so a lot of what you share and what we talk about is, you know, how the Lord is calling us to do things and this feeling that we have and do that. And I understand that. And guys will be asking, well, how do you know your purpose? And well, my purpose comes from faith and this feeling that, that I believe the Lord has a plan for my life. Uh, But even in your story, whether you believe in that or you don't, there is no denying the evidence of the importance of family, the importance of being connected to something larger than yourself. And yeah. one of the things that we talk about in Dad's Many Differences is your spiritual growth. And while I'm a Christian and that's what I'll talk about, you know, spirituality to different people is a different thing. Sure. But there's no, your story just evidence that there's more. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know you and I both share the fact that we're in a mastermind group. Yeah, yeah. we're not the same group, not in the small, same small group, but the same organization. Yeah, same group. So let's let's chat about that for a second because yeah. I th- I think uh, one of the things, main questions I had while you're telling your story is like, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, and I, I know that part of learning things about yourself is good, but then you mentioned the mastermind group. Yeah. I know that being part of that mastermind group over the last six years has also impacted you in a way that perhaps you didn't have I mean, prior to. I didn't even have that on the radar. Uh, and uh, uh, so in, yeah, in, 20, in 2016, I, uh, I met Matt Miller, who's a part of this organization through a business venture. And he was he was encouraging me to investigate it. And and so I turned 60 in January of 2017. and I. And I was, I was at that point, Trace had been gone two years mm. and I was really at a point where I needed community again. I, I had gone through the, the five stages of grief. I'd come out the other side of that. I, I was ready to be around people again. Uh, I, I was going to church at the time, uh, but you can imagine I, I don't fit any demographic, right? <laughs> I was about to turn 60, but I had a 12 year old, you know? Yeah. And, uh, he's in, I mean, I, the age of the parents of his friends are the age of my other kids. Uh, and so there's this, um, uh, yeah, there was just a, a hard time to have community and I was looking for community. And, uh, and, and so in January that year, I joined the iron sharpens iron mastermind. That's right. Because I wanted to get around a group of men, not only not only for community, but also for business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were also at a place that uh, the company that I went to work for when I got back from Africa was being sold, and there was going to be another transition there. Yeah, and I needed some some guys around me to, for business reasons, and, and uh, found Iron Sharpens Iron, and and those guys are now the guys that if something happens to me. They're going to be there for Alfie. Yeah, they're the guys. They're going to be my pallbearers at my funeral. Yeah, uh, they're the closest relationships I have. Uh, some of us have been together the entire six years. Some of us have been together six months. Yeah, but that community is one um, that brings accountability too. So when I commit to something, they're going to hold you to it. So there's accountability that comes from that. And I, you know, some people are just naturally driven and naturally accountable. I, there are times I have to be just kicked, kicked mm-hmm. in the tail, and these guys are great at it. Yeah, you know, get moving, quit sitting mm-hmm. back, get a little more aggressive, uh, do what you say you're going to do, 
and uh, but they do it um, because they care. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 So, Steve, right now, another period of transition is coming up in a few months. Yeah. But as a father right now, as a husband right now, what is an area of growth that you're excited about or diving into at the moment? Yeah, you know, it's it's my second time around for graduating kids. You know, I had the other three graduated within two, three years of each other. And then okay. it's been a gap of, gosh, however long, 25 years, I guess, since I graduated, 23 years. The twins graduated in 2000, so 23 wow. years. And, and, and uh, I'm doing things differently the second time around. I was way much more uptight. Um fearful for them i'm not fearful for alfie like i was for them yeah and the world is crazier now than it was in 2000 for sure <laughs> for sure <laughs> but i have i have confidence in in his ability to make good decisions um, and it's not from necessarily anything i've done but i've allowed him to fail some over the especially in his high school years i've let him I've, instead of trying to plow the ground in front of him i've let him trip over the stones a few times and it's hard it's hard to watch your kids fail but it's allowed him now to have a framework and a filter for making decisions um uh, failure is a great teacher yeah and so e even now while we're selecting colleges like he's got this great opportunity for college uh because of the uh, uh the generosity of a local businessman that endowed this school that Basically, all he has to do to get to go to college is be from Mississippi and apply by a certain date and, and get in and get accepted. And he did that. And so his tuition is going to be paid for. It's amazing. It's just a wonderful thing. But with that goes a lot of responsibilities and even responsibilities leading up to his graduation. And, and so guiding him now instead of mandating is what I'm really learning. Amazing is letting him have decision-making. Even, even if he disagrees, we can disagree, and I can tell him why I disagree, but I'm not going to mandate the answer anymore. Um, and I think that's a challenge for a lot of guys. It is, man. And, and, and like I said, I didn't get it right the first time. My other kids will tell you that I mandated a lot of things that they rebelled against. Um, and uh, I, I, I just found that Alfie and I's relationship has been – I won't say it. it's not 100% smooth with any kid because they're going to make mistakes and you're going to be disappointed. But the fact that I've let him do this, he trusts me when I say something now. Oh, maybe dad's got something to say about this. And he can tell me, like, you know, he told me the other day, he said, uh, we were driving on a road. He said, you know, I did 95 on this road the other day. I went, what? What? <laughs> but he was, it, you know, I I said, okay, you know that if you get a ticket, you don't make enough at your job at Jersey Mike's to pay for the ticket. And so he, but he took that information. Uh, but just being able to, to have those unfiltered conversations mm -hmm. and him not fear that I'm going to shut him down uh, has been an important thing to learn yeah. uh, from me. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Steve, I, I appreciate everything that you've shared here. Just sharing your story, your testimony, the transitions. Uh, I can't even name them all. I can't even like count them all. But I, I thank you for being here and sharing this. Uh, if somebody wants to connect with you, where can they do that? 
Uh, best place, probably LinkedIn. It's Steve, S-T-E-V-E, Kinsley, K-I-N-S-L-E-Y. Search for me there on uh, LinkedIn and you'll find me there. Connect, DM me, whatever, and we'll, we'll connect. Amazing. Thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Jim, thanks for your time, man. I, I, uh, I hope this has been beneficial to you and all your listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of the Dad's Making a Difference podcast. I hope you found value in today's show. And if it made a positive impact on you, please share it with someone you know, leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. I'm Cam Hall. Thank you for spending time with me today. And I will see you on the next episode of the DMD podcast.